1: Welcome to The Ancient World, a podcast about Greek myth and philosophy, symbolic reading of the biblical stories, and the renewal and rebirth of the Florentine Renaissance. And in this episode, we're going to play for you seven short clips from the, the conversation, the great conversation we had this week with uh, Greg from Exiting the Cave, Dr. Dan Scheffler from a university in Kentucky. And also Sean, who has the Mythos and Logos channel. So it's a bit like sound clips. It's not, uh, it's a selection of the highlights and um, just as uh, inspiration for thoughts. So hope you enjoy some of this. And uh, here we go. going to ask Dan, uh,
2: what, what do you think of um, Newman's concept of ascent? Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like Newman a lot.
3: <laughs> yeah. And I think that I, especially if if you're talking about um, merely notional ascent versus real ascent, you know, uh, I think it's, I think it's one thing uh, to be able to um, just kind of like believe something abstractly. Um, but I think it's another thing to really subordinate your, your whole mindset to that, uh tradition and actually be moved by it and moved to action and moved to effective response and uh, all the rest so it's actually life shaping
2: it was an interest i've i've just started dabbling in i forget the title of the book um but where he outlines his theory of ascent um and it's an interesting grammar of ascent. is that the that's what it was yeah grammar of ascent yeah where he's uh, he's outlining this sort of theory and i am i'm coming at it from the standpoint of uh, sort of secular philosophy of trying to see how this could be a kind of unifying force in epistemology between you know the rational deductive brain and the experiential inductive brain and maybe there's some kind of Abductive layer of a scent that you can lay over this that can mingle the two somehow and uh, and and for it to somehow function as a justification for knowledge.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a promising promising direction. We've been talking about sort of this like left right notion from the Gilchrist and maybe something like yeah. Uh, uh, um, Newman's conception of ascent and real ascent is a way to kind of bring those two together in a, in a healthy way. I think we were talking yeah. earlier about you don't want to fall into the just like left brain bad trap. You know, like like all logic
2: <laughs> is bad. <laughs> all, I, I spent all a long time categories in that are
3: bad. You know, it's like well that if if you go that route, you just end up crazy. <laughs> you believe anything.
2: <laughs> Yeah, and and sort of the the common response amongst uh, most of the secular philosophers that I've read is to just descend into a kind of miasma of, well, then knowledge is just not possible at all, right? But to me, that's just, uh, I mean, it's absurd to say that, right? Because you... (laughs) First of all, you're an academic, right? You you committed yourself to the idea that you can transmit knowledge to people, right? <laughs> but it, it's at that point that you start to, to the, I mean, the rational person has to say, well, maybe there's something more to this that I'm not seeing, right? You know, like maybe the religious have a point, right? And that, And that sort of gets the ball rolling on, well, if they were, what would it look like, right? And that's kind of where, that's kind of where I got started, and kind of refamiliarized myself with uh, Jung and Campbell and those guys. That's yeah, um, my my reasoning there is uh, sort of um, the the linchpin. There was one of the videos I was watching from Robert Barron, where he's he's going over the lives of the saints, and every single one of them there's a section in the video where he's like, telling you about how this saint lost his faith, you know, and how he struggled with his own belief and how he had to find a way back to it and all these sorts of things. I was thinking, these guys are saints. If they have trouble believing, you know, who, who am I to say that my lack of belief is enough to to eschew the church entirely. So that's, I mean, I started out uh, as I was raised Catholic. So that's kind of why I went back to the Catholic church. But it was sort of at that point that. And at
3: some point you you have to act, you have to live your life, you know? So even in the absence of, you know, 100% certainty or, you know, absolute what what counts as knowledge in some sort of thick sense, you still have to get up in the morning and you still have to live your life. You still have to go figure out, what you gotta do and so uh it makes sense to base your actions on your best working theory of today and that's okay you know that's just part of the human situation
2: <laughs> yeah i mean otherwise you end up apoplectic right
3: yeah completely yeah you you'd never you'd never get up out of the bed
1: <laughs> but what i was thinking is, if you look at it, it seems well, like it started Early on, as just, the, I don't remember, I, who was it? You know, then the first ones?
3: was it, I think I think the earliest is
1: Evagrius Ponticus. Okay, so he had a couple yeah, and then it grew. And then the current one, I think in the 1700s were two monks who created like this. I don't know how many volumes it is, but you also have an abridged version with the 200 pages I found, which is just like a little selection of all the Orthodox Church Fathers, which is kind of a little guide into the whole landscape of them. Yeah, it's a really nice one. The one I tried, Philokalia. But there's also in companion with that there's a book in Russian called The Way of the Pilgrim. That is about a person who's just walking around with with the with the Bible and some bread and yeah lives uh, like on the road as a pilgrim, which apparently was common in Russia, like often. In, uh, but yeah, so, so but he uh, says the Lord's Prayer all the time. So that's. Uh, the jesus prayer the jesus prayer sorry yes so i was i thought i was going to read that one just for it's just interesting as yes it's it's a great book yeah is it yeah we just like those short introductions i can just yeah give you some like somewhere to hold on to uh but also for, for you greg I, when you talked about intelligence a bit earlier um a little follow-up on that i haven't thought i haven't thought about this before but like do you see that as <laughs> it's a big topic coming but like do you then see intelligence as something abstract beyond the human brain? So like in the sense that our brain's evolution, <laughs> in the news, like our brains is growing into capturing more of intelligence that already exists there as abstract force or like an existence. Was that what you were thinking about, Greg? Or like, is, is that in...
2: No, I, I what I, I guess where I'm going, where I was going with that is, is sort of um, not so much as an abstract f- force but uh hmm it makes me think of
1: those cherubims as well like this the the second level of the the spiritual beings as being streams of knowledge in itself second
2: only to to love as a force i guess to put it in simple terms i'm 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 thinking sort of in terms of natures right the universe has has as part of its nature intelligibility right and um and and in some sense the human mind um captures that right we are an expression of the intelligibility of the universe right um we couldn't exist as intelligent creatures um if the universe didn't in some sense have it wasn't imbued with it in some way, right? Now it doesn't have to be the same way that it's captured in the human mind, but w- whatever it is that gives rise to human intelligence um, is in the universe itself somehow, mm-hmm. right? And to and and to me, the the simplest explanation of that is that. Um, I don't want to use the word a being, um, but some some there has to be
3: a ground of intelligibility.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one yeah, way to say exactly. It. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's some there's something underlying the universe that imbued it with its intelligence. If even if it didn't create it, it still um, is what is <laughs> populating the universe with its capacity to produce intelligent beings and to me the simplest answer to that must be well in some sense this thing must itself be an intelligent being mm. right um, because the alternative is just uh, you know, a blank slate full of particles and somehow magically intelligence just appears yeah right uh, intelligent consciousness just appears and, and i don't know how and not
3: just intelligence but as you were saying intelligibility right the the very structures even in non-intelligent being throughout the universe it, even non-intelligent being is still structured in a way that is intelligible right so you get you actually have two problems that are insoluble on a reductionistic. Uh, account one is where does that structure even of just basic atoms come from right or or the law of gravity right has an intelligible structure where does yeah. that structure come yeah. from right and the second problem is then okay from non-intelligent being how do you get intelligences such as ours that are capable of grasping those Precisely. structures right and on both counts, you have there's there's no answer unless there's an, an ultimate ground of intelligibility, um, which makes sense to say is something divine, right? You know, even if it doesn't map on to, you know kind of your conception of God that you learned in Sunday school or whatever, uh, it's certainly the most divine thing there, there would be. You know? and,
2: well, and and to, and starting from that conception, at least in an adult sense is a, at least a starting point right you have to have a starting point and if if i have to re uh, uh reassimilate the concept of god into my thinking the christian god that's that's fine because it's at least a starting point and it might be right who knows mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that's that's kind of where i'm where i'm at right now and and uh, and even if i never sort of get an ultimate answer at least having that foothold um, is a place to continue the exploration as it were right. are you familiar with like a
3: bayesian epistemology approach to those kinds of questions a bit.
2: i've i've done you, a little have, bit of.
3: have you ever looked like richard swinburne or anything like yeah that? i've
2: done a little bit of reading on it um but I, i'm not i'm not i an think that's sort of it. the
3: direction that and that's kind of the direction that your your comments are leading right which is this idea that look i might not be able to know in a rich sense that there is a god or anything like that but i can still assess the the prior probabilities of the various hypotheses given the hmm. basis yeah. of evidence that i have right and so i can i can still think that some of these hypotheses are more probable than other hypotheses hypotheses because they're in so it's it's a classic inference to the best explanation right but i don't know that that best explanation is true but it's more plausible than the other alternatives and so it's reasonable or warranted to go ahead and believe it and act on it anyway i mean that's how most science works anyway yeah
1: yeah, exactly (laughs) i just wonder like so what you're saying there greg it makes me think that i'm still stuck on this anyway
3: I mean, that's how most science works anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. <laughs> I just wonder, like, so what you're saying there, Greg, it makes me think that I'm still stuck on this seed thinking. <laughs> what's in the seed, like, universe starts, like, what's in... Or, I like to think the creative way. Let's say you want to start a universe. What do you have to put into the seed for it to grow into something like we have today? What has to be, like, in the sense, just like a pl- seed for a plant, like, you got to put something in there, Tom. Some moral laws, some physical laws, some potentials for this and that, and then kind of yep, that's what they talk about in Genesis one. <laughs> you create the blueprints, you you create the, the potentials and the structures, and then it starts comes into being. I think like it's, part of that would be in in the Jewish thinking of those who wrote it, or like where where they get get the stories from. But but you can see it from a you can see it from from a, like a, a secular uh, philosophical view that that's one way of thinking about the beginning um so that's one part of this uh, that also then <laughs> it something about intelligence in itself is put into the seed as a potential that grows with time of course and then if you see time as growing in itself it is kind of it, it grows and you measure it in time but it, it comes out of it naturally <laughs> like, like a blob um that, that's one part
2: that's also a very Aristotelian way to think about it, it as well. Yeah. Okay. What's that? I was just going to mention that, yeah.
3: Well, the, in, in Aristotle, you can't get actuality from potentiality, right? So for for there to be the actuality of intelligibility yes. or intelligence... Right. There has to be a prior actuality that serves as the ground. So you can't, you can't get in, in sort of an information systems sense, right? You can't generate information yeah. from a higher entropy state, right? You can't, you can't get that intelligibility emergently from nothing right there has to be at least the conditions for those structures to arise and the conditions themselves have to be more structured than the structure that arises from the conditions of structure
1: mm-hmm. but, but I think so if you look at when the universe is a, like a golf ball <laughs> a little melon you know it's gonna <laughs> turn into humans one day <laughs> it's gonna like the potential for humans is there <laughs> like it's
3: Right, but the the potential for humans to be there can't be what actually causes the actuality of humans. There has to be a prior actuality of of the structures that at least make possible that evolutionary process. This is Thomas Nagel's okay. argument in Mind and Cosmos as well, which you mentioned
2: earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mind and Cosmos was one of the books that I was really? okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. another thing
1: that just to put that when you talk about intelligence in the universe that I'm also thinking about sometimes is that well, when you got the filaments. Like we didn't know this 20 years ago, like galaxies Mm -hmm. are kind of just like synapses. It's identical, kind of the pattern or like the the structure of it is like synapses. (laughs) But, and then if you look at, well, our solar system, like, okay, and let's say we spread next 50,000 years, we spread (laughs) solar system, maybe to some other stars, then intelligence starts glowing and blinking in one little bit of one of those filaments and it starts spreading. And then... (laughs) at some point it becomes like, is it just an abstraction then to say that the universe comes alive and becomes intelligent or, or is it actually being that like when,
3: well, well, there's, there's two relevant distinctions that I think are are easily made, right. And our classical Plato, Aristotle, everybody makes them right. The one distinction is between material and immaterial, right. So there are some things that exist that are made of stuff, Right. And there are other things that exist, like you mentioned numbers and circles, right, that are not made of stuff. They're not made of atoms, right? Fine. Okay, great. That is a great distinction to make, but we, also, we have no reason to think that the, the real things that are not made of stuff are any less real. The second, which has to do with the epistemological, you know, distinction that you just made, uh, is sensible and nonsensible. Right. And to recognize that one of our modes of access to reality and to knowing that something is real is our, you know, sight primarily, but then secondarily hearing and then touch and taste and smell and the rest. Okay. Um, So those realities are sensible, but we, we also have other modes of access to knowing that things are real, such as reason right? Just direct noetic access, right? Uh, we, we deduce things. There's lots of things that uh, even would count as material that are not sensible, right? Like electrons. You can't actually see or smell or taste electrons, but somehow we think we know that they're there through some sort of, in, it's actually an inductive process of, of reasoning, right? Um, but something like, uh, we, we also have internal psychological awareness, right? Just direct first person analysis of, of my own internal states and then we can inductively infer that other beings such, such as I have similar states. So in other words, we have other, just because something's not sensible doesn't mean that we don't have a way of knowing about it, right? We have other ways of knowing about reality and we have other pieces of evidence that there are nonsensible, non-material, real things.
1: So this was some of the highlights from this great conversation we had this week. And we're going to put a little bit more information in this description field and also with some of the book links. And I um, just want to say, as always, thank you so much for listening and see you again soon here on the Ancient World Podcast.